welcome, ladies, germs, and people of all genders to the Ah Real Films podcast. Wow. A podcast <laughs> where two siblings discuss horror films based on a theme. I am your host, True Story Taylor, and my oh, co-host is... so good. How can I top that? I'm Curtis, all right? <laughs> I can't top that. Um, and in case you couldn't tell by my fabulous name this week, we are talking about films based on a true story. So a lot of films that are really popular in uh, horror, I'm thinking of The Exorcist. I'm thinking of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm thinking of The Silence of the Lambs. All kind of get... Slender Man. Slender Man, <laughs> based on a true story. <laughs> they get a lot of their, I would say, power from having this titillation of having been based on a true story. No matter how thin that uh, basis may be, we were discussing before the record that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on serial killer Ed Gein. Basically, he Very like... Very loosely. He like skinned people and wore their skin, but that's pretty much it. It's like not really... Yeah. So anyway. Let me ask you about the based on a true story trope, because some movies are truly based on a true story. We were talking earlier today about the movie that came out last year, Veronica, which mm-hmm. is based on a true story. We see pictures at the end of the film. Most films are not really based. They're very, very loosely based or inspired on a true story. What do you think about that trope? Does it make you obviously the 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 intended effect is it to make it like enhance the fear, like oh my god, this happens. But most of the right. time, I see that and I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. probably not true. I think when I was younger and I would see that a film was based on a true story, I would be like, that's crazy that this stuff really <laughs> happens. But once you learn that it's not the exact story that's being told in the film, yeah. to me, sometimes it can have the opposite intended effect, which is just like. Oh, well, you're making like you're sensationalizing the real story behind this. And that's um, how I feel about the Amityville horror. Yeah. Which is it's not real. Like it's based on real events, but um, the events it's based off of were in turn a result of the real, real events, you know, of that guy killing his whole family. Mm -hmm. I think the best iteration of films that are based on a true story are films that were inspired by something that happened in the filmmaker's life. I'm thinking of The Strangers. I don't know if you oh, know that yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. The filmmaker, um, the director, like, was home alone with his sister one night, and they there was a knock on the door, and he went to the door. I mean, he was, like, 12 years old, and the people at the door were asked for someone who didn't live there, and he was like, no, they, they don't live here, and the people, like, went away. It was really weird, and he found out later that those people were going around to all the doors and, like, or all the houses and burglarizing the houses of people who weren't home. And and that that to me really reads really well in The Strangers. And you can see how it was inspired by that event in the filmmaker's life. The ones that aren't so great to me just kind of sensationalize something that like was probably really actually traumatic for real people, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, t- I, I totally agree. And I, I think of like, I think Amityville Horror is a really great example of that where it's really just you know exploitation of a real event and you know that movie could have been just as effective if it was you know kind of made out of whole cloth which it kind of was to begin with a little bit and um so yeah i I guess that's pretty much how i feel about the based on a true story thing um i think it's cool when things are inspired by true events i think it gives a little bit more realism to what's occurring in the film but i do think like the kind of like you know, when it presents at the beginning of the film, like, based on a true story, I think mm-hmm. it's more cheesy than it, anything, to be honest. Yeah, it really, I mean, and again, also, I at the end of the day, I like a film, if I like a film, and it doesn't, my feelings about it aren't really changed by it being based on a true story, but I am always intrigued about what that story is, just because I love true crime, and most of them are true yeah. crime related, and so I always end up you know, reading about what this inspiration was. And sometimes that's an interesting story, but most times you're kind of like, that doesn't really read through in the film I just watched. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, anyway, how do you, you know, we've been, we were talking off air, so I won't disingenuously come in and be like, how do you want to do this? So uh, what we're going to do here is we each <laughs> chose a film. We don't know which film each other has chosen. Oh, no, I'm so excited. So <laughs> what we're going to do is read off the true life event and see if we can guess the other person's film, what the other person's film is. I think it sounds like based on our off-air conversations. We're going to give you a little peel behind the curtain a little bit mm-hmm. here. Based on our off-air conversations, I'm guessing you might have a little bit more difficulty guessing mine. And so... Mine um, is, uh, I think, pretty obvious, but the story is the, like, 
one of the most interesting things I've ever heard. So yeah, I it's really the bomb.com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so absolutely. Okay, so, I'm I'm ready because I don't. I think you're underestimating my underestimating my knowledge of true crime. We'll see. So, I'm not. I you'll know what crime I'm talking about. What movie I'm talking about? I okay. don't know. Okay, so, I'm ready. Let's get into it. Okay. So my crime is the backpack murders. Are you familiar with those in Australia? Um, I'm assuming some backpackers were killed. Uh, well, yeah. Can you guess the film? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, um, anyway, okay. I was about to guess something, but the, okay. <laughs> the backpack murders were um, uh, murders committed by Ivan Millet uh, between 1989 and 1993. He was tied to seven murders, ultimately, in between that time. And all of these murders occurred uh, to individuals aged 19 to 22, usually foreigners, um, English people, Germans, things like that, in the Belanglo State Forest. And I I think more so than any other thing, I have difficulty with Australian things. Australian, I, so I'm apologizing if I get this wrong. Um, they should learn how stuff. to speak English properly, Please is speak my English opinion. Properly, <laughs> I mean, Australians. come on. Um, anyway, um, so his sort of modus operandi was pretty like down and dirty methods of killing, stabbing, strangulation. Um, he would often use people as target practice, which made me think of the film that we watched last year, Killing Ground. Uh, do you recall that film? It uh, came out in 2017. I do. It also reminds me of a 2018 film called Downrange. I don't know if you oh, caught that. I didn't that. see that. Yeah, no. yeah. The Killing Ground is also an Australian film, so that's kind of what reminded me of it at first. But also there's a part where the villains are using this family that they've killed, one of the members of the family as target practice, which is very... Oh, that's gruesome. that's very and all, but also that's very Killing Ground. Yeah, if you hadn't yeah. just said Killing Ground, I might have guessed Killing. Ground. Oh yeah, okay. no, yeah, I'm not doing Killing Ground. But okay. I did uh, when I was reading about these killings. I was like, wow, I wonder if Killing Ground, uh, also an Australian film, was based on these murders. But okay. anyway, um, each of the bodies uh, of the gentleman that the individuals who this gentleman killed, and I don't know if I should be calling him a gentleman that this awful human being <laughs> killed. Um, each of the bodies had been deliberately posed face downs with hands behind their back covered by a pyramidal frame of sticks and ferns. So he had, Hmm. that's how they kind of connected these seven seemingly unrelated killings that had occurred in the state forest over, again, the span of four years. That's kind of how they connected him all to him. Um, An interesting note for this killing. So you may, I'm sure you're my favorite murder fan as well as I am. So you probably are familiar with this killing because this is the, this killer is tied to Mr. Paul Onions. Uh, Paul Onions was the uh, person who called police with a tip with this guy. Um, Mr. Paul Onions? Onions? <laughs> Paul, yeah, the, Paul Onions had been attacked. He he was. Uh, oh, he had. Uh, I do remember this. He yeah. caught a ride from this guy, and this guy like attacked him and almost killed him. And Paul Onions went to the police and was like, "Yeah, I know." He who. was like, "Listen, my name is Paul Onions." <laughs> number name, one. Yeah, yeah. First off, he called the police. He's like, "Look, my name is Paul Onions. Yes, my last name is Onions." <laughs> with an S, it's plural. <laughs> Um, but no, he. Uh, it was ultimately Paul Onion's tip that led to the ca- uh, capture of Mr. Millay. And obviously, you know, he was tied to these, like I said, seven killings. Yeah, that's pretty much the story. One interesting fact about Mr. Um, Millet that I had, and I, I'm sorry if I'm getting this name right. It's L-M-L-M-I-L-A-T, Ivan Millat. So, I'm, mm. you know, I don't know. I thought you were saying French. millet like the grain. No, not like the grain. So okay. it's, I guess it's millet. I don't know. I don't who, know. who gives a shit? I, I don't, don't care. <laughs> but I, I don't give a shit about this guy. But one interesting fact that I had to read um, is in 2011, he um, had an unsuccessful hunger strike for almost a month because he wanted to try and get a PlayStation in a cell. And uh, he was ultimately unsuccessful. I feel so. like if you got arrested and thrown in jail, <laughs> you would do the same thing. I, I was going to guess that you were going to comment on that. But anyway, can you uh, okay. guess what my film is? I have a. Uh, can I ask a question before I guess? Because I think I might know what it is. Absolutely, go ahead. Do you know Mr. Millet's profession? What did he do for a living? I don't. I would have to check the Wikipedia. I, I don't know what he did. I can tell you. I will give you another hint. So okay. apparently, this film is actually. Um, there was a screenplay written of this film in about 2000 or 2001, and then a killing of an individual named Peter Falconeo, an Italian guy, was uh, killed by a, a person named Bradley John Murdoch. Um, and they, 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 the screenwriters were following this killing, and they're like, well, this is like – they rewrote the script because they were following this murder – and they're like, you know, this is like, it, I guess it inspired them in some sort of, you know, dark mm. way to sort of rewrite their script. And ultimately, this script became this movie. It was initially based on Mr. Millat, and they made a few tweaks to the script okay. based on what they were reading about, and uh, it's, Mr. Murdoch. So early 2000s. 
Yes. Is it an Australian film? It's an Australian film. Is it Wolf Creek? It is Wolf Creek. Yes! Oh, my God. I can't believe you got that. Uh, So, yeah, my film is... Oh, my God. We watched that film together. We did. Okay, so I, you know. Yeah, and I actually... So, yeah, my film is Wolf Creek. Oh, my God. I'm so proud of myself. A little background fact. So, this film is directed by Gregory McLean. It's a 2005 Australian horror film. Um, It's starring John Jarrett, Nathan Phillips, Cassandra McGrath, and Kesti Morassi. It was marketed as being based on true events. Uh, and so, Well, and to be fair, before you get into the plot, mm-hmm. probably out of any film that says it's based on true events, actually, I mean, it's a, a film so about these killings. I it's mean, yeah. loosely based on... So, you know, it's very, very loosely based on, I think, the methods of killing uh, of these two individuals. The, mm-hmm. Like the sort of brutality and the playing you know sort of using their victims as playthings i think is what uh really you know kind of sticks out about what is based on these these crimes that the film is based on now the character the main killer whose uh name is mick taylor in the movie and he's played by john jarrett and it's just an incredible performance and a really really chilling performance um he's sort of a totally original character he said um, that he wanted to do sort of a mixture of Millat and uh, Crocodile Dundee. So well, he wanted to be like an evil Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, and that's why I, when I was asking my my questions, when I asked what his profession is, because he in the movie he's a um, truck driver, right? Or he like he, they break down and he helps yeah, them he out. Yeah, he has a truck. Yeah, he has yeah. like a truck and tows them away. That's like yeah. a major. I mean, I'll let you do the plot synopsis, obviously, but I remember that that's like because it's been a while since we watched it, but that's like the thing that sticks out most in my mind yeah. is he like has a helping role at first yeah, yeah. and um so i want to talk a little bit about um just this actor a little bit before we get into it and one uh, another way in which he was inspired by millat before they shot this movie before they filmed this movie the actor uh, john jarrett spent time isolated alone in the woods in like a shack and would go weeks on set without showering. He like really mm. poured himself into this role and he, he wanted he to Jared be... He Jared leto it. He really did. And you can <laughs> you can almost... Like when you're watching this yeah. film, you can almost smell this guy. Like yeah. he looks gnarly. Um, but anyway, let me... Yeah, I'll go into a quick plot synopsis of the film. I mean, there's not too much... As opposed to Abstentia last week... <laughs> Um, that pl- film is very plot heavy with a lot of different twists and turns. This one is quite straightforward. In the film, you basically have uh, three, you know, early twenties aged individuals who, um, two of them are from England. The two uh, women in the film, damn it, I'll ha- you have to excuse me, folks. Uh, I left my paper notes at home and asked a friend to take a picture of them and send them to me. So I'm having a little bit of difficulty. Who has uh, the notes now, motherfucker? I know, look. I did a great job last week. I read many <laughs> I know. article. It was exhausting, to I be know. honest. So you got to give me a break here, okay? Um, but anyway, these these three individuals, um, one is actually a native Australian, the male, and then um, the two women are from England. And, you know, they know this guy through a friend of a friend and are like, you know, want to kind of get like an Aussie's view of Australia and so they all are, you know, they're partying on a beach and they're like, you know, this has been a fun two weeks, but I'm really excited to move on. And they're going to visit Wolf Creek, which is a seemingly like a national park or something. And so the first half of the film is basically them, you know, there's a little bit of sexual tension among the three characters and like a little bit of a love triangle. And they're going to Wolf Creek and they go to see this giant crater that is apparently there in, you know, real life, which is, you know, really beautiful looking. Um, but then they get back to their car and see that, you know, their car is dead. They can't turn on the engine. And so they're sitting in the car for a few hours. It starts getting dark. And all of a sudden they see a car. And who drives up but Mick, played by John Jarrett, the uh, Mick Taylor, who is, you know, I got to say the Crocodile Dundee part, uh, you know, really sticks out in this part, part portion <laughs> yeah. because, you know, the Australian protagonist is like from Sydney. He's like a city guy. There's a little scene at the beginning of the film where like, Two of the country Australians are like, you know, talking about stealing his girls and stuff like that or, you know, some sexist bullshit. But, you know, he seems a little rattled by it. And, you know, even he is kind of like taken aback with the the character of Mick, how like, you know, country he is. And, the, you know, he's making a joke about I got a big knife and all. I forget what he says. He's just making <laughs> that fun wasn't of it. That was not a horrible Australian accent, oh, I have to say. Well, you know, I yeah. watch a few Australian YouTubers a yeah. lot. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm 
trying my best here, you yeah. know. Um, anyway. <laughs> I've got a knife. <laughs> so, you know, basically Mick tells him, you know, uh, nothing wrong with your battery. It looks like I just need to replace a few spark plugs. So he tows them back, you know, apparently two-hour tow back to his place. I don't know what the hell he was doing out I mean, I guess you find out what the hell he was doing out there <laughs> yeah, for uh, later on in the film. But basically, he takes him back to his place, and, you know, they're they're sitting around the fire, you know, just hanging out. And, you know, you notice a few weird things about Mick, but one of the characters seems a little perturbed, but the other, you know, the other two are, like, having a good time. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden, the characters go to sleep, and the next thing you see is uh, one of the female characters is tied up. Mm. And it pretty much, you know... I could go through everything that happens from here, but I, I won't spoil it because I think anybody who's listening to this who hasn't seen it can use their imagination. And I think there's a lot of shock value to what happens going forward in mm-hmm. this movie. Yeah. Um, even like even though I'm telling you it goes downhill from here, I think the specifics of what happens is very shocking. So I won't spoil it. And I would encourage people to watch it if you have. This is one of those movies. Uh, or sorry films it really is a film it's very well shot and everything it's a film it's a film um i would say i read uh some some review i think it was from the la times where they said this is the only artful torture porn movie that i've ever seen in my entire life it's it's very you know very very well done um and i would encourage people to go out yeah. and see it if you have a strong stomach that is but the things that happen in this movie are really quite grueling and I think one of the reasons why this film is so effective, I mean, you know, we've all seen, you know, if you're a horror fan, you've seen like extreme movies before. Some of them are played for laughs and some of them, you know, are more serious, but it's hard to take seriously because of like the shit that's happening on screen. This film is very, very effective. It's extremely, extremely dark. And I think part of the reason is, is that the first half or the first third of the movie or so when these these three main characters, it's very like kind of a slice of life kind of film like you're just seeing them kind of living and enjoying their lives and there's a little bit of a relationship triangle or a love triangle and stuff going on and all of a sudden the movie just takes a turn for the worse and even though you see it coming you know the fact that you got to know these characters is really affecting but also like just the realistic kind of like home movie way style that the film is shot in just kind of continues as it goes into this bad you know this bad area and it's i thought it was just really really affecting mm-hmm. after I, you know i had seen this film before i knew all the stuff that actually had happened but i was still very affected and frankly quite depressed after watching this film it's very very dark yeah um the one thing i'll say about this theme that we chose is because we wanted to guess each other's films we didn't watch each other's films right before it started so i'm just going on years old recollection yeah. here um but the one takeaway i definitely have from this film is that it's very engrossing, it's very suspenseful, mm-hmm. and it's super scary because, like, you are invested in these characters because you do spend time with them when they are just kind of, like, being friends together. It's, like, a very relatable situation. Um, and then they are caught in, like, a very perilous situation that I think a lot of us fear which is like being in the middle of nowhere with no way of of mm-hmm. getting yourself out safely um i know i mentioned downrange earlier and i didn't necessarily love that film i mean it didn't make it anywhere near my top 10 of 2018 but what i think it does really effectively is show like how being stranded in the middle of nowhere how how vulnerable that makes you and wolf creek kind of takes that really and like runs with mm-hmm. it but it starts by being like vulnerable like they are totally within this guy's mercy and sure he could be a total nut job but what are they going to do continue sitting yeah. there for the next nut job to come along but when he first approaches them i mean he seems like he's just trying to be helpful yeah, you know he actually seems quite friendly and quite nice and it really makes you think about like guys like ted bundy who are so charming Mm -hmm. uh before they killed their victims and i think this really is a film again is like based on a true story pretty loosely more so inspired by true events but it really takes that inspiration and really runs with it and gives you like a really effective and disturbing film what's being shown on screen is like so real 
and like you can almost like feel it as you're watching it it really just is like one of those films where it's like wow this could happen to me like i could be out camping and this kind of thing could happen oh i think about that all the time that's yeah. like the main reason why i don't camp i'm like no yeah. i will definitely get murdered yeah, it, out it, here you know killing ground you know we talked about earlier it's oh pretty similar like that movie just kind of killed camping for me i'm so i love camping but and i'm you know, only like, gonna do it with like nine other people from now again on like i you know because i'm so obsessed with true crime i know for a fact that you're like more likely to get killed like in a city than you are in the middle of nowhere but i still just won't do it like, yeah there's just absolutely no way yeah well before we go off this film, I did want to read a few the, the trivia. So, you know, a lot of times I'll read the trivia on IMDb and stuff. always you always read. The I trivia. do, but sometimes <laughs> it's just not interesting, and I won't read about it. This the trivia on this film is very very interesting. So I'm just going to read a few little factoids. So the crew obviously actually shot on the real location of Wolf Creek, and apparently uh, it's one of the driest areas in you know the whole world. Uh, it never hmm. rains there. Oh really? And when it yeah so. If you've seen this film, you'll know that's very odd because, um, you know, they shot on location and it literally had not in this seems almost too outrageous to be true. But it ha- apparently it had not rained for six years before they shot this film. But then it rained for three straight days um, really? as they shot the scenes on Wolf wow. Creek. And uh, the director was like ecstatic with this because he's like this just adds this like sense of unease basically. Because, again, you're talking about a place that hadn't rained. In- well, it's fucking it's- Australia. I don't know yeah. why, but I'm like it. I, I assume all of Australia is a desert. I yeah. don't think that's true, but, like, in my mind it is. I watched a lot of Steve Irwin as a child. Yeah, so, well, yeah. I, I, does it ever rain in Australia? Our, our fans from Australia, please We know you're us. listening. Um, us about this. <laughs> um, the other interesting factoid, and I tried to do a little bit more research on this. I wanted to know more about this, but I could not get more information about this. But apparently Mick, the, the killer's little location mining Whatever he lives on, it looks like a mixture of a garage and an old abandoned mining uh, area. Whatever that is, that it, that was like shot at an abandoned um, like mine town, or I, I, you know, I don't know anything about mining. I don't know what you would call it if, actually, but um, it was abandoned because it was the site of an actual murder. And when they went to go shoot there, the locals were really kind of pissed off because they thought they were doing a documentary on this murder. And they're like, you know, we don't want you guys meddling around here. And then they're like, oh, no, we're shooting a horror film about, like, a killer. And they were even more pissed about that after. <laughs> so they had to shoot on this location. You know, they had to, you know, I guess do a rush, kind of rush shoot on uh, for all the scenes on this location. And I tried to find out more about what murder occurred here. I could not, hmm. um, could not figure that out, unfortunately. So the final factoid... I wanted to read about was that th- this little. I'm going to read this from uh, my favorite source, Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> For real, it says, "Excuse me. Uh, since the film had a relatively low budget, and it apparently had about a budget of a million dollars, since the film had a relatively low budget, many of the action scenes involve the real actors. For example, when running through the outback barefoot when her character escapes, star Kesti Morasti ended up with hundreds of thorns and nettles on her feet." <sighs> During the shooting of Morassi's torture scene in the shed, her nonstop screams and crying began to discomfort and unsettle the crew. Executive producer Matt Hearn said that the female members of the shooting crew were brought to tears by it as if someone was being actually tortured. Wow. Um, and I thought that was really standout. I know I that's kind of a spoiler a little bit, but I thought that was the most effective scene in the film. And I was just like, mm-hmm. it made my like blood curdle when I was watching that scene. And I was just, you know, very struck when I saw that little fact. The final fact I wanted to give is that the uh, website, uh, Cinema Score, I think it's called. Yeah, Cinema Score, the audience ranking uh, for this film is an F. And you mm. don't see that too often, but the audience has rated this film an F, according to Cinema Score. But despite that, I would encourage, I think this is a modern horror. I wouldn't call it a masterpiece or a classic, but it's right below that. I think it's a yeah. very, very good film. I think you'll see it on any any site that you know does the hundred best horror films of the two thousands, it will have this on there. I mean, you know, it's I, I think it's considered one of the better films mm-hmm. of the two thousands. Actually, Slant Magazine named it one of their hundred best films. Period of uh, two thousand to two thousand ten. I mean, it's not. I, if you're skeptical about this kind of being like a trash exploitation film, it is not. It is a yeah. very effective. You just have to, you know, just be warned that you need to have the stomach for something. Well, like I would this. say too. Um, you know, there's a lot of horror fans out there that are into horror because they want to be 
scared specifically. Yeah. I'm not necessarily that way. I think a horror film can be good without necessarily scaring the shit out of you. But if you want to be really scared, I think Wolf Creek is a good film Absolutely. to watch because it is definitely very scary and pretty traumatizing. And as you said, yeah, I'm never going camping again. That's not no. happening. Yeah, that, I'm, unless yeah. I go with literally a dozen other people, or if I'm I go kidding. with like a like a, just an arsenal of guns. Yeah, yeah. That oh. I magically learn how to shoot. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Perfect idea. I'm sure that'll be really helpful. I'm, sure I'm like that won't so qualified. Hurt, I'm sure that won't hurt you as opposed to other people. Um, are you ready? I'm prepared. Okay. Give me your story. You should be. I have a really long story here to tell. I think all of our listeners and probably you will guess what it is about halfway through, but I just think this is a really fascinating story and I wanted to tell it, basically. Well, I'll keep my trap shut then. Yeah, keep your fucking trap (laughs) shut. So I talked to you about this book last year when I read it. Uh, The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down, A A Hmong Child, Her American Doctors, and The Collision of Two Cultures by Anne Fadiman. Do you remember when I told you about that? Uh, Was it... The documentary that you were telling me? No, about? it was a it was like a book and I texted you, I was like, You have to read this book. It's about like Hmong culture and about uh, so it's basically about I don't remember. Okay. No. It's basically about a Hmong refugee family. Their daughter, her name is Leah Lee. She um had epilepsy, like a pretty severe form of epilepsy. Her parents didn't speak English. And they went to the doctors and there was just like this whole miscommunication basically where the parents had one idea of treatment in mind for Leah and like the doctors had another treat, you know, idea in mind. And, and basically like it boiled down to like, it was half the parents just didn't understand like what the treatment plan was and half they disagreed with it because they had a different idea about how to treat their daughter. So anyway, um, but in a, a backstory of that too, is that in Hmong culture, and I think I, I'm so sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. It's H M O N G, and I think it's Hmong. They have an understanding of medical ailments and spiritual ailments basically being intertwined. And, like, you know, they, you can't have one without the other. So, it's something that in Western culture we would understand as like purely medical, they understand as like being a spiritual mm-hmm. affliction as well. And Hmong immigration to the U.S. increased exponentially after the Vietnam War, and they were culturally and socially isolated from their ancestral home. So they are from Southeast Asia, basically, but they're an ethnic group that is was in Cambodia and was in Laos, Like, but they're not just from one country, basically. Um, so when they came to the United States, they were under a great amount of social and cultural stress. So now that we had to have this backstory, which I learned first from reading Anne Fadiman's book and then through my extensive internet research. <laughs> so consider the phenomenon of sudden and unexpected death of young Southeast Asian refugee men in the United States. According to a 1987 study by Ronald G. Munger entitled Sudden Death in Sleep of Laotian Hmong Refugees in Thailand, a Case Control Study, a striking pattern of sudden and unexpected death during sleep occurs amongst among South Asian refugees in the United States. The victim are victims are predominantly young men, all in apparent good health, who die within minutes of the onset of agonal respirations during sleep. During 1981 to 1982, the annual rate of sudden death in Southeast Asian refugee men ages 25 to 44 years in the U.S. was remarkably high. Get this, 92 men out of 100,000 in Laotian Hmong which is equivalent to the sum of the rates of the leading five causes of natural death among U.S.-born men of the same age group, all died in their sleep, of just, like, sudden... Un- I mean... That's insane. It's, it's insane. So, so Southeast Asian victims of sudden death in the U.S. tended to be more recent immigrants as opposed to immigrants who had been there for several years, indicating that newly arrived refugees in the U.S. may have a greater risk of sudden death than their longer-term residents of the same group. So the commonly accepted Western interpretation of the cause of death is ventricular fibrillation, although it's in the absence of known cardiovascular disease. So these people were just like dying of, you know, a heart attack out of nowhere, like even if they were perfectly healthy, you you know, medically otherwise. So the Hmong explanation of this death is more spiritual in nature. And I got the following information from the dark side of the placebo effect when intense belief kills by Alexis Metagral. 
So Shelley Adler's book, Sleep Paralysis, Nightmares, Nocebos, and the Mind-Body Connection is an exploration of how what you believe interacts with how your body works. And Adler comes to the following conclusion. The Hmong were killed by their belief in the spirit world, even if the mechanism of their deaths was likely an obscure genetic cardiac arrhythmia that was prevalent in Southeast Asia. So even though they are, you know, genetically predisposed to like having these types of deaths, what really acted on that for them was their belief in like certain spiritual beliefs, basically. So because Hmong were um, separated from their ancestral land and unable to worship properly, they were susceptible to nocturnal attack by an evil spirit, which is an idea and belief that is present in nearly every culture, but is particularly palpable in Hmong culture, giving their belief in the linkages of medical and spiritual health. Mm. So... Consider this story that ran in the Los Angeles time in the early 1980s about a family of Hmong refugees with a young son who reported awful nightmares. He told his parents he was afraid that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him, so he tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought the crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. So... Hopefully it's quite obvious by now, but what film is based on this cultural phenomenon of death by nightmare? The Nightmare. No. What? What the fuck? It's not The Nightmare? I'm going to go ahead and reread. All right. Ni- oh, it must be Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, right? it's I Nightmare on Elm Street. About, I thought you were talking about the documentary about sleep paralysis, no. but yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is more I was like, a- oh, wow. We had, okay, we had talked before this like started. I was like, oh, it's so obvious you're going to get it. Well, sorry. I was just thinking <laughs> until you. <laughs> oh my god! I, there is literally a film, a like documentary yeah. about sleep paralysis. Right? That's what, you know. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, no. Nightmare on Elm Street. I well, guess I just think it's really. I. I. This story has like always fascinated me yeah. because, you know, obviously, like all of the researchers, kind of like doing the scientific research on this in the West, like are coming at it from like, oh, well, they died of a heart attack, and it's mm-hmm. just like they're more genetically predisposed to it and i i didn't have i borrowed this the spirit catches you and you fall down from the library so i didn't have it to refer back to but when you kind of read the Hmong explanation of like what is going on it really i mean it makes sense that your spiritual belief in things like affects your physical health Mm -hmm. you know and i just think that's like such an interesting idea of literally being scared to death i mean is what happened you know if the Hmong explanation of this is that like the spirit like literally caught them in their sleep because they weren't worshiping properly and because they were like separated from their cultural you know history and all that kind of stuff so so i always i had always heard that west craven had based this on sleep paralysis did he take it specifically from this phenomena that was happening yeah he so the last bit i read um from the uh los angeles time article when you ask him what he he said i read that article that's where i got the idea however the idea of sleep paralysis and seeing an evil spirit because a lot of people who have sleep paralysis report you know seeing an evil spirit Mm -hmm. The idea of seeing an evil nocturnal spirit is present, like, across, I mean, in every single culture. Yeah, for for millennia, essentially, yeah. So, (laughs) I know a lot of... talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, Yeah, so finally we're going to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Okay. I I have a question before we start, though. Oh, you you know what I just realized? I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm wearing Freddy Krueger's sweater right now. I know. I saw that when you were earlier. I was like, I really (laughs) wanted to say something, but I couldn't. That is so... We'll we'll post a picture on Instagram of my beautiful sweater. Oh, yeah. Uh, That would be fun. Yeah, so... But, yeah, that is hilarious. I'm surprised you you kept that in while I was wearing the sweater today. I know. I was burst. I was like, I'm going to talk about that movie. (laughs) Before we start, because I'm just... I'm, like, fascinated by this idea of spiritual and mental health affecting like physical health like i very much believe in that i wanted to know do you have a recurring nightmare yeah i okay. sure do what i have it? i actually so if you if you don't mind you're like it's deeply I, personal I, no i have two reoccurring nightmares but one has been more prevalent as i was an adult i used to have a reoccurring nightmare about losing my tooth when i had braces uh like that i would like just that like, means something like if you look up like a freudian definite like yeah. losing your teeth is a weird thing but uh, uh, recently like as an adult and especially since i got a, a new car like a year and a <laughs> half ago i have these dreams where i'm driving my car and all of a sudden i like am not able to press like the brakes or the oh. ignition or like move the steering wheel at all and i you know i usually have my girlfriend in or like 
oddly one of my cats in the driver <laughs> in the passenger seat and it's I it's just you know, Bap is like screaming yeah, as you careen yeah. <laughs> one of my cats is screaming in the passenger seat um or oftentimes it's usually Chanel with one of the cats on their lap but <laughs> yeah and I, I lose control and I, I crash it's funny that you have that dream now that you have a nicer newer car and not when you had a piece of shit oh car. I would have I would have I prayed every night to have to have an accident in that car but no yeah um, this has been a very prevalent dream well recently. I think so I love Nightmare on Elm Street I think of the three classic uh, slasher villains, which is, you know, The Shape, Freddy Krueger, and Jason. I just love Freddy Krueger. I love oh, The yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, he has the most personality. Yeah, sure. but I will also say um, I have a recurring nightmare, which is that I am being chased and I can't move. Or that I'm, like, moving mm-hmm. very slowly. Like, I'm exerting myself a lot, but I can't move at all. Um, and then I'm never actually caught. Like, I usually wake up before I'm actually caught. So I think that's why The Nightmare on Elm Street, like, really affects me. I don't know. I I, I find it a very scary film, even though it can be a little cheesy at times. But yeah. um, And Freddy Krueger, yeah, he's just such, he's so sassy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I think one great thing about this film, as compared to, you know, Friday the 13th uh, or, you know, a lot of other films that are seen as kind of, like, classics, but, like, oh, that was back in the 80s. It's not as scary as... It's remarkable how effective a lot of the scenes in this film are. And I always say that I I love Halloween. You know, I like it more as a film than I do Nightmare on Elm Street. But there's no doubt, in my mind at least, that Nightmare on Elm Street is the more frightening film Mm -hmm. and the more relatable film. I mean, what happens in Halloween, for example, like... I think it's masterfully shot, masterfully scored and all that stuff. But we've seen slashers that are just scarier, like Mm -hmm. that affect us more. But the concept of what's happening in Nightmare on Elm Street and like the scenarios that happen to these characters are like very unique and very uniquely scary. Well, and you know what I realized? I rewatched this film last night. What I realized is scary about it is it has the logic of a dream, which yeah. is both familiar to us because we've all actually, you know, on, had dreams where like weird things happen, but we accept them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes sense to us, but it's still like heightened, you know, because things happen that wouldn't be able to happen in real life, but they still seem real to you because mm-hmm. it's like a dream. So, mm-hmm. anyway, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, <laughs> written and directed, of course, by Wes Craven. Rest in power. Rest in power, <laughs> Wes Craven. Love He's a great films. director. No, I love I, yeah. I I love Wes Craven. I'm not listening. You can rest in power. I just like saying rest in power. I don't know. It stars Heather Lankenkamp as Nancy, who is one of my favorite final girls, by the way. Yeah, she's uh, John Saxon as Lieutenant Donald Thompson, who is her father. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Blakely as Marge Thompson, who's her mother. Amanda Weiss as Tina Gray, who's her best friend. Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Nick Corey as Rod and Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp in his film debut as Glenn uh-huh. uh, is Nancy's boyfriend. Uh, I mean, fuck you, Johnny Depp, and also fuck you, Glenn. Stay yeah. the fuck away. He suffers the most gruesome <laughs> death, and I think deserve it. Yeah, he fucking deserves it. Like, okay, there's a. I'm gonna get to the plot <laughs> synopsis, but there's like three different parts. In which Nancy Nancy's a fucking badass, by yeah, the way. She's I love awesome. Nancy. She, she she's like, so smart. She's like, like a perfect yeah. like foil for Freddy Krueger. Yeah. I think. She's so like, anyway, there's like several points in the film in which Nancy's like, okay, Glenn, all I need you to do <laughs> just do this is, one stay, thing. <laughs> is stay awake, okay, and watch me while I sleep. And, and Glenn's like, sure. And then like he's wearing a crop top. <laughs> yeah, okay. And like he doesn't stay awake. He doesn't do one thing. That like she just drink some fucking coffee or something. Uh, okay. he's, he's the worst. Okay. Do you know who I, <laughs> this is a fun, fun fact. Uh-huh. Do you know, just take a wild guess. There's several actors who were considered for the part of Glenn. And I don't know if people know this, but Johnny Depp went, he accompanied a friend to the auditions and like Wes Craven saw him and was like, oh, you should try out for Glenn. And it was kind of just like a weird situation like that. So guess what actors, or guess the one actor I'm thinking of that was considered for the part of Glenn. I might be wrong on the timing of this, but Corey Feldman, perhaps? No, it's, Okay, tell me. Think Think of a film that we both, Watched recently for an upcoming episode. Oh, God. I don't know, Taylor. I, I, what do I, I, I? Nick Cage. It was Nick Cage. What? It was <laughs> Nick Cage. Oh, oh can you imagine if Nick Cage oh, had played Blood? That would have been. Uh, was he? Yes. So he's the same age as Johnny Depp, as it turns I, out. Well, Johnny Depp or, is. Around then. I mean, 
Johnny Depp is is getting up there. You know what I you mean? You just I mean, like bursted out with the net. You were so excited to tell me. Listen, I'm Nick Cage. If I love, okay, I'm a Nick Cage apologist, and I don't care. Like I oh. love Nick Cage. Yeah, he's. Inc- I think who's I not do a Nick think Cage apologists can just unsubscribe. Please don't, <laughs> un- please don't actually right do that. Um, I do think that Nick Cage would have maybe pushed like because this film already has the potential to be kind of silly. You know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so. Johnny Depp actually does a pretty good job acting in this film. Oh, yeah. You know, this was pre-problematic Johnny Depp. This is pre-problematic least. Johnny Depp. He plays Glenn very well. Glenn's, like, supposed to be, like, a, kind of, the like, a dweeby a boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, so, the plot, basically, um, the film follows a group of teenagers as they are terrorized in their sleep by a burned menace, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> And so, a pedophile. Fred. Let people forget about that. He is well, a okay. pedophile. So he, in the film, he's a child murderer. Yeah, he's a pedophile. Wes Craven initially had him be a child molester, but at the time the film was made, there was a very highly publicized case of, like, child molestation. And so Wes Craven didn't want people to think he was, like, profiting off of that. So he changed it to Freddy Krueger being a child killer, but it's still, like, well. Yeah, okay. yeah. Anyway, um... I also read that Craven didn't want to use a knife for his slasher because that was already kind of played out, I guess, by 1984. Um, so he came up with, like, the idea of Freddy Krueger having, like, the glove with yeah. all the... It's That's so fucking cool. cool. It's yeah, so cool. it's just, it is really cool. So everything about this film, I think, again, people kind of lump it in with other slashers from that era. Everything about this film is so unique. And people who haven't seen this film because they kind of, like... Just throwing it aside as like kind of being of that era and people who or people who haven't seen it in a while, I would suggest, you know, you watch it and, you know, it's just aged so well. It holds up. So unique. It holds up. Oh, and also before we get off the topic of your sweater, um, Wes Craven (laughs) apparently chose red and green for Freddy Krueger sweater because it is the most clashing to the human eye. So yeah, yeah. people have thought yeah. this sweater is like five different colors it's or the green. Horrifying is. looking. Yeah. So well, it looks good on me. I think, <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, so the film starts where Tina, who is Nancy's, Nancy's like the main character. Tina is her best friend, and Tina wakes up from a nightmare where she is attacked by a disfigured man. And at first, you're like, oh, that was a bad dream. There's a weird goat too. <laughs> I don't understand the symbology of the goat. If someone knows what that is, please explain it to me. Except for, like, that goats are evil, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, black Phillip. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's a black Phillip. So, you know, Tina tells Nancy, like, I had this bad dream. And Nancy's like, hmm, that's weird. And Tina's like, what's weird? And Nancy doesn't say anything. But later you find out that Nancy also had a dream about this guy that night. Um, Tina stays over at Nancy's house that night. No, Nancy stays over at Tina's house that night. Um, and Glenn also stays over because Tina doesn't want to be alone after the scary dream. Um, Rod, who is Tina's boyfriend, comes over and they have sex. And, you know, you know how it's, that goes. it's a fucking slasher movie from the <laughs> 80s. And Tina falls asleep and she dreams of being chased by the man again. And then uh, Rod is awoken and she's thrashing around and he like doesn't do anything, which I think is kind of weird. But like he's like kind of in shock. He's like, what's going on? But the perspective of what's happening in this scene, I mean. Can you imagine seeing something like that? What, yeah, I mean, she's what like, would you do? She's like dragged up to the ceiling and she's like being dragged along the ceiling, which I read was shot by like, they shot it right side up and then just yeah. like flipped the film upside down, it's which so is really cool. cool. There's so many cool tricks in this. Yeah. Film. And so he, she's, she's killed by like four, what they think is like razor cuts across her chest, um, which you later find out is like Freddy Krueger with his like, <laughs> you know, his little glove. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Rod like runs away and everyone's like, oh, Rod killed Tina. They had a big fight, whatever. But Nancy, you know, on the one hand, I feel like she maybe thinks Rod did it. But then on the other hand, she remembers this weird dream because she had it, too, you mm-hmm. know. And then so Rod is arrested by Nancy's father, who's the lieutenant uh, for Tina's death. Mm-hmm. Nancy goes to school that day for some reason. <laughs> I know. Because she's a fucking nerd. <laughs> and she falls asleep in class. She fucking freaks out at the end of this, which is actually kind of yeah. funny. But she falls asleep in class and she dreams about Freddy. And in that dream, she burns herself on purpose, like to wake herself up, I think. Um, and then when she's she wakes up, she has the burn in real life. So you that's like the first that's the first inkling that you get that what happens in the dream like happens in real life, too. You know, mm. 
So Nancy, this is the first time Nancy invites Glenn over to watch her as she sleeps. And she's like, wake me up if it looks like I'm having a nightmare. And Glenn's like, sure, babe. And then like she, he falls asleep, too, because he's fucking useless. He is basically every <laughs> teenage boyfriend. Yeah, he gets world. like all excited because he thinks that he's going to get in the bed with her. And she's like, in the chair. I mean, to be fair, they're only 15. But like, I'm also like, Nancy's a fucking prude. Um, <laughs> so she, Nancy falls asleep and she like goes to look for Freddie in her dream. So she goes to the jail where Glenn is locked up, and she there's a lot of... Not Glenn. Uh, sorry, Rod. Rod, yeah. Where Rod is locked up in her dream, and she sees, like, Freddy, and he, like, morphs through the, the bars of the jail cell. I think that's a really cool part of the film. And he's, like, about to kill Rod, and then, like, she kind of, like, drags him away in the dream. And he, like, chases her instead. Um, and she wakes up. Because her alarm clock goes off, not because fucking Glenn wakes her up. Because <laughs> yeah, he's not fucking that Glenn asleep. is useful at all. G- Glenn, I mean, he's not wearing his crop top at this point, yeah, but he's no. still fucking useless. Um, to be honest, I kind of like the crop top. It's all anyway. right. I'm not gonna. I, it's all right. Yeah. Um. And so uh, she's like freaking out. She goes to the jail because she's like Rod is gonna blah blah blah. And then like, of course, Rod is dead. And mm-hmm. they're like, what happened to Rod? And so at this point, Nancy's parents are like, um, you're going crazy. And they take her to a sleep clinic. To be like, you're having crazy nightmares. And she's like, Freddy Krueger is after us. And as she like sleeps in the sleep clinic, she has obviously another dream about Freddy Krueger. And in the dream, she like grabs his hat and like brings it back mm-hmm. into the real. And that's his dope fedora. He's wearing a dope fedora. <laughs> he was like one of the founders of 4chan. You yeah, know, like he, one oh, of the. Yeah. That leather fedora, slightly worn. Yeah. Oh, he, I, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the part in the film in which. Um, after that she's like it has his name in it it's fred krueger and that's when you kind of find out who fred krueger is like he is a real person like he was a child murderer he got out of he's whatever (laughs) hot take um (laughs) and so he got out of jail on a technicality (laughs) lawyers am i right um and the parents like killed him in vigilante justice so basically he's like seeking his revenge Mm -hmm. for like being and he was burned to death which is why he's burned so Anyway, the kind of the where it goes from there, Freddy Krueger, he like he kills Glenn and then he like tries to kill Nancy. He tries to kill yeah. Nancy. She's like sets up a, she's like reading a book about like booby traps, which I need that book. Yeah. Um and she sets up like a booby trap where basically she falls asleep and she tries to drag him back into the real world where he can be like apprehended or killed or whatever. Mm-hmm. I did want to talk about the ending of the film. Mhm. So I, the very end, the like very the last end. Scene? Yeah. So he's back in the real world. And, and Nancy basically realizes he has no power if I'm not afraid of him. That's, like, how he gets his power from these dreams. Because they're nightmares. So if it's not a nightmare, then it's whatever. Mm-hmm. So she's basically like, I'm not afraid of you. Like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, he lunches for her and then he disappears. And you're like, yay, Nancy. And then, like, she wakes up and it's, like, a bright and sunny day. And all of her friends are still alive. And her mom is still alive because her mom has been killed. But then, like, at the very end of the movie... She gets in the car, her like into um, Glenn's car, and they're all trapped in the car. They start screaming, and then like Freddie comes and like grabs her mother. Yeah, yeah. I'm very confused. Is that like another? I've never been able to interpret that correctly. Is that I, like another nightmare of hers? Or I've always wondered if this was like an ending, if there was a different ending to this film, and I've never kind of gotten a straight answer on that. I think this is probably how the film was intended to be, and I really don't know kind of what to make of it because like you said at the beginning of like us talking about this there's a lot of dream logic to this film right i mean is this just another dream is this like post-traumatic stress of some sort or what what? i know is that originally the film was supposed to end by like it was going to be the original it was all a dream film where nancy wakes up and the whole film was like a dream of hers Mm -hmm. and so they kept that part i think well sort of but then, but then it's, it's kind of not a dream exactly. because he's attacking her, exactly, so. exactly. So it's kind of like a double twist ending. So yeah. I, I, st- I mean, I think the point is that like, oh, Freddy Krueger is real, but well, I don't understand how she's awake and he's there. My you know? practical thoughts about this is that I think this was just a hint to the audience that Freddie is still alive and that right. there's going to be more films. Yeah, uh, we're going to have like eight more of these things. Yeah. You know? yeah. By the way, just a word on these sequels. A lot of these sequels are actually quite good. There's been a lot of renewed enthusiasm about the second film, which is seen as like kind of an early 
LGBTQ-inspired film. Um, I've read a few articles about that perspective on it. Three is really, really good. Dream Warriors, I would encourage people to watch that. But just to, this is just to say that, you know, this has this film has a ton of sequels, and a lot of them are pretty actually pretty good. We talk a lot about a lot of films who ha- which have really bad sequels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek Two is <laughs> terrible. It's really really bad. I forgot Wolf Creek. Yeah, it exists and it's really bad. But um, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street has some great sequels, and I think you know I think that's probably my best guess on what the ending is. It's just yeah. like there's going to be some sequels. Yeah. So the last thing I well, there's actually two thing last things I wanted to talk about. Number one, which is really small, you mentioned that Wolf Creek didn't have like a really high rating on what website was it cinema score cinema score i googled this film last night while i was sitting with justin because i was gonna read some reviews and you know how when you google a film it shows you um like rotten tomatoes it shows you roger ebert it shows you know it's kind of I go to Rotten Tomatoes, it says 19%. I was like... That's outrageous. I was like... <laughs> That's outrageous. I literally was like... I literally was like, is this a typo? Like, I told Jess, I was like, it says 19%. And he was like, I guess I didn't like it. I was like, am I seeing... Cr-? I literally... I cannot believe my this only film thought has a 19%. is is that that was like the slasher boom, and I think critics were just predisposed to hate them. I mean, what else could possibly explain that? I think of, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, this isn't even Halloween, a straight slasher, really. Yeah, I mean, Halloween is holds up. You know, Friday the Thirteenth holds up. Like, I'm not saying bit, those films don't. A little hold bit up. lesser so. Friday the Thirteenth, a little bit lesser so. I would argue. I, I know, but I wouldn't say. You know. I, I think those are the natural comparisons, and I'm not dogging those films by saying this, but it's like Nightmare on Elm Street is like a classic horror film. I, I just can't believe it has a 19. I mean, I just do you, to do say you that. think? <laughs> what do you? I, I was going to ask you just because we were talking about Wes Craven. Do you think this is Wes Craven's best film? Do you like this more than Scream? I guess is what I'm asking. Or I, I you know, last no, House I like. I do like okay. Scream more. And there's I, there's actually a few. Um, Wes Craven films that I haven't watched that are still on my list. I actually listened to a podcast recently about Red Eye, which is from 2005. Oh, I never watched that. Um, I, and I, remember, I always thought... I remember I, seeing it on, like, trailers and stuff. Right. I, I always was just like, oh, yeah, like, Rachel McAdams was trying to be, like, a serious actress after Mean Girls or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the podcasters on Dead Meat, they were like, this is a dope movie. So, I'll have to check that Yeah, out. I'll have to check. So, but I, I don't... Yeah, no, I don't think that film is going to be better than Scream, but... I, it's really hard a, for me I'm, to say. I'm it, a huge fan of all, all of Wes Craven's work, and this is still my favorite of his films, yeah. I have to say. I love Scream, and I really love Last House on the Left, too. I mean, can um, we just um, really quickly bring back our hit segment, Is It Neve or Nev? Because <laughs> <laughs> I do wasn't... we have to? <laughs> <laughs> because I will say what I appreciate about Scream is the same as what I appreciate about A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is like that really strong central female yeah. character, which is, you know... Um, Nancy and Sydney, Sydney, right? Neve, yeah. yeah. Well, Neve, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nev, um, it's Nev. I think I don't know. <laughs> I I like Nancy more. Like I love Nancy so much, but I feel like the overall scream. Well, scream, yeah. certainly had a seismic impact. Probably more, maybe more so than Nightmare on Elm Street, because Nightmare on Elm Street was kind of like in a line of slasher films, right? But it's so unique and it holds up so. so I know, well. but I like Scream too because the nineties were like shitty for horror films. So it was like one of the really yeah, good I ones. Yeah, I know. So. I know. Okay, well, the last he's, thing... a gr- he's just a great director all around. I think uh, we love you, Wes Craven. Yeah. I know uh, you're rest listening. In power, rest in power <laughs> up there in heaven. You're listening. Yes. Um, I know you're listening. The last thing I wanted to talk about on on a nightmare on Elm Street, which is like so, we talked about the thing last week about how the some of the practical special effects don't hold up. Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm going to go on record. Those special effects hold up. They are oh. fucking incredible. When Glenn dies and there's just a fountain of blood, which by the way is just uh, red dyed water. I read and it they filmed yeah. it upside down. Yeah, yeah. it's just and so on the cool. one hand you're like this is ridiculous, but on the other hand you're like yeah. <laughs> yeah, I freak out. I it reminds me. It reminds me. And this film was made before. It reminds me of the elevator scene in The Shining. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. it's like has really cool parallels like that. But I also commented to Justin. I was like, is there that much blood in a human body? Oh, <laughs> no, definitely not. Right? I mean, no, there's no way. Where's that all? But. but like, I love that scene. I love the first um, scene where Tina is killed and you see that so there's also um, this is kind of like a psychosexual like interpretation of the film. But when Nancy is taking a bath and you see Freddie's like glove come up between her legs mm-hmm. in the bath and she's like pulled below in the bathtub. That's I mean, I know it's not super special effecty, but I just think like 
the visceral terrors in this film hold up so well. Like I, well, I was literally also, gasping while I was watching this film. There was it's also so scary. the part where she picks up the phone and the tongue comes out. Oh too. God, it's, so, it's like, my personal favorite scene <laughs> of this film is the like a really stylish scene where he's like walking down an alleyway, like silhouetted by fog, and his oh. arms are really long. Ew, I hate he, that. He yeah, he has his little claws going oh, against I hate the wall. It. And there's this, oh. Yeah, there's you know, just actually, so much good in this. I film. have a um, I have like this weird. Uh, fear of like bugs underneath like the surface of your skin or like like one time I turned over some trash and there was like all these maggots there like Ugh. I hate that the scene where he cuts his own skin and there's yep. maggots under his skin I knew you were gonna say that yeah. that's I, I, I say it's my favorite it's actually my least favorite because it fucking freaks me <laughs> out horrifying. so bad I, I think, hate that I think the fact that this film is like not operating in reality is oh, yeah. such an advantage to it yeah. there's so much freaky shit in this film and it's just holds up so well but yeah based on you know he got the inspiration from dying in your dreams he took that added a bunch of white people uh-huh. um white people dying in their dream but yeah, there's you know. no laotians in this film unfortunately <laughs> um, but i will say like the idea that something that happens in your um nightmares has an effect on your like actual physical well-being I said at the very top of the show that the films that are based on a true story that affect me the most are the things that, like, the directors hear about or that they, you know, experience themselves that inspire the film. I think this is a good example mm-hmm. of that. Because he took, it was like, oh, these people literally died because of a nightmare they were having. I'm going to make a film before mm-hmm. that happens. You know, and I yeah. think I think he did a really good job. And, I mean, he spawned a... How many sequels are there? I mean, a shit ton. You know, nine. It's like, well, if you count the remake, I think it's nine. Also, or I think I read eight. that they are making another, like a remake. Well, they made a remake in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. They're made, but I, I when I was a sequel yes. to that, aren't they? Or are they oh, making okay, another? Are they making another reboot? I thought they were making another reboot, but I could have read wrong. I don't know. I Google things, I read them, I take them as yeah. gospel. Maybe I should stop doing that. So yeah, you know, I, everything I read on IMDb or Wikipedia is basically fact. <laughs> You're to like, me. I read this interesting trivia. It's just like so wrong. <laughs> You're like, I read it on IMDb. Well, all this stuff I read on IMDb and Wikipedia. But um, anyway, that's a great film. Mm. Love talking about that film. And I love you know, it too. I know I got it wrong. But anybody that's interested in this film and the idea of sleep paralysis should te- check out the nightmare. The I haven't watched it yet because I'm so afraid that that it's, will happen. To yeah, me. that's I, I. I watched that film and then I was afraid I was going to sleep paralysis. I don't. That night. Um, I wouldn't say I frequently have nightmares. I would say probably once a month I'll have a nightmare that I actually remember and that sticks with me. But I've had a few nightmares in my life that were so bad. One of which was about scratching my skin and there was bugs underneath it. <laughs> That, you know, I'm so deeply affected by them that I'm scared to watch a documentary because I just feel like, again, it will subconsciously afflict me and I will then have a horrible nightmare, which I don't well, want to do. If so. you're afraid of that, yeah, definitely don't watch this, <laughs> yeah. this documentary. But Anyway, yeah, based on a true story, I would love nice. to hear, like, I know we always ask people to email us, but I would love to hear people's, like, favorite films based on a true story because, again, I love true crime. I know mine wasn't true crime related, but, like, most of them are. I would love to hear people like who they're like, this is a really interesting story. And here's the movie that came out yeah. of it. So if that applies to you, please e- give us an email and um, let us know. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to talk? I know we're running a little long here. Do you want to talk about any films that you watched recently uh, real quick? Yes. Well, first, I want to say I know Netflix just came out with like the Ted Bundy tapes. Yeah. Not to brag, but well, Curtis, you don't live here anymore. But Tallahassee. I do not. The site of Ted Bundy's last killing oh, at the yeah. Chi Omega sorority at FSEO. So, State University, and he correct. was um, apprehended in Lake City. So, not a hometown murder, I wouldn't say per se, because he killed people like fucking all over the country. But, um, you know, I think in Tallahassee, literally everyone has a Ted Bundy story. Like, oh, my mom was friends with someone who rushed yeah. Chi Omega. Like, it's okay. always very tenuous. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. Still, um, and he, his his mark was indelibly oh, left yeah. on this town. No, I, mean, I totally, you know. totally. And I mean, yeah. I you mean, always not I to make always, light of that situation at all. Anytime yeah. I, yeah, of course not. And if I would always drive past that, past that sorority house, and anytime I was with someone who wasn't familiar with that, I'd be like, "Oh, that's the Ted yeah. Bundy sorority." Apparently, like, um, the uh, women who are in Chi Omega don't really necessarily love to talk about that. Though. Oh, I don't blame them. I don't blame <laughs> um, them. So I, I did want to talk about a film that's upcoming that I'm excited about, which is extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. 
which is um, Zac Efron is playing Ted oh, Bundy. Yeah, I don't right. know if you've watched the trailer. I have. I have indeed. It's a yeah. I uh, we'll see how that is. I sure. feel like so. If you haven't seen the trailer, it's very like actiony, like. Um, it was Ted weird. Bunny, like, I'm going to fucking kill some people. But yeah. here's what I think. Someone pointed this out in the horror group I belong to. They were like, well, that's how Ted Bundy thought of himself. Like, he thought he that's was, true. like, an exciting, fast-paced type of guy. If this film is from his perspective, it'll be interesting to see from his perspective how he thinks all these events played out. Because until the day he died, he denied that he did anything. Yeah. So... That I, I mean, after I after I read that perspective, I was like, okay, like this could be a cool film, like about kind of like from his perspective, basically. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I, think about it like that. That that is int- I, I I honestly was taken very aback by the trailer. I was like, is this for yeah. real? But when you put it that way, that is like I feel very like in this I feel like in this day and age, people know better than to be like, hey, this mass murder, we're gonna make him seem really cool. So I feel yeah. like there's something going on about the trailer that maybe we're not getting at first. Yeah. Like, glance. which it makes me much more intrigued about right. it. Right? Yeah. For sure. But the other film I watched that I wanted to talk about, I'm so mad. Would have made my top ten of 2018 <sighs> if I had watched it in time. Was Pie Wacket? Oh, I know. I Did you get a chance? The, of, I, you I haven't, okay. haven't watched it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Listen, I know I've talked about it before. Love teenage girls doing witchcraft. That's like oh, <laughs> my favorite subgenre of horror. <laughs> the craft. I'm like, you know, do witchcraft teenage girls. Like, I love that. So it's about like a girl who has like a contentious relationship with her mother to the ex- like something happens. And I mean, the thing that happens is pretty like horrible. Her her dad has died and her mom is not handling it well. And, and they get in a fight and her mom is like. I hate looking at you because you look just like your dad. And it, I mean, it is very devastating. But then she like goes into the like the forest and she like does this um, ritual where she like conjures Piwacket, who's a demon. I did not know that, but it's a demon. Oh, oh um, I didn't yeah. know that either. Piwacket is a demon. I was wondering what that name was all yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, kill my mom. Um, so it's all about how um, she believes this spirit is kind of like invading her life and stuff. The ending... Um, for all my friends who have seen, wait, no, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it, Curtis, because I don't want to give it away. Yeah, don't, yeah, okay. don't ruin. It. I'm gonna watch it for sure. I want when you watch it and you see the ending. I want you to tell me what uh, film ending it reminds you of, because it very mm. vividly reminds me of one particular film ending. It's a film that I love. I just thought it was a really well done film. I thought the actors were really good. It reminded me of films like A Quiet Place, um, where the uh, emotional family dynamics are really like what draws you into the film and makes you care. a lot of that last year. Yeah. Like, a lot of yeah. the best films last year were like that. Yeah. So I definitely recommend it to um, all of our, all of our fans. Yeah. So if we're talking about films that would have been on our top 10 list, I, I've had so many regrets these past few weeks. <laughs> I have but... so many regrets, period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- that's it. Yeah. But no, I uh, watched Pascal Langier or Langier. He's a, f- French director who directed Martyrs back in 2005. Oh, okay. I was I watched, like, where are you going with this? I watched Incident in a Ghost Land, <laughs> yes, which yeah. is his latest film from last year. And it was not what I expected. So it has a lot of the same themes as Martyrs about how people cope with like extreme situations uh, that, you know, what happens in Martyrs does not really happen in reality. It has taken to the extreme in that film. In this film, it involves kind of like a home invasion type of situation that occurs um there were a few things i didn't like about the film mostly the villains i thought were like a little bit i think it was a little bit too over the top i thought they would have been better served the film if they were like more based in reality those like a monster more based in reality but um what the characters go through in this film like the victims of this film is really sad and really compelling. And I thought, well, the way they handled it in this film was just really, really well done. And a lot of like what the movie's about is not the brutality of what happens to these characters, but what how they respond and react to it. And I thought like exploring that was just really, really interesting and really sad. Anyway, mm. I thought this film was very, very good. Um, it's like, it's not nearly as extreme as Martyrs, but it is like a very extreme film. Yeah. It's like very upsetting. But I thought it had, like, a really good intention and, like, a, dare I say, heartfelt kind of movie <laughs> for what it is. From the guy who brought you Martyrs. But a very I, heartfelt. In a way, though, I you know, yeah. I will argue this, that I, in a way, Martyrs is heartfelt, too. I, I mean, as, never, for as extreme as it is. Mm-hmm. I have never seen Martyrs. I um, have heard it's really intense. I think we've... Just, 
talked before about how I'm I, I'm squeamish. I don't yeah, love yeah. intense films. Yeah. I think eventually I will watch it. I just need it to be like on a bright and sunny day <laughs> at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, but I do really want to watch Incident in a Ghostland. That um, wait, that's it, Ghostland, right? Yeah, it's yeah. A terrible title by the way. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I do want to. Uh, that seems more uh, up my alley. And since I've always wanted to watch Martyrs, I feel like oh maybe if I'm introduced to this director, I think that's a good know. way to do it. Is yeah. Start with Incident and Ghostland. Right. And if um, I like that, then I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's more of an incentive for me to watch Martyrs again. I, two o'clock on a very sunny day. Yeah. And I'm not going to give any context for this, but um, Incident and Ghostland does feature an appearance by our friend H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, oh, I, I thought you were about to you, say Nick Cage. You no, can't do that to me. <laughs> I will not give you any context <gasps> oh. for this, but H.P. Lovecraft as a human being, appears in this film. Oh, that so. reminds me. Nick Cage and H.P. Lovecraft. Apparently, he's going Correct. to be starring in a H.P. Lovecraft-inspired mm-hmm. film. Do we have more information about we that? We pretty much don't, okay. unfortunately. But Here's that the thing. news came out this week. As I said, I'm Nick Cage, Nick Cage, again, I know you're listening. Nick, come on What's the up, podcast. Nick? We'll Why don't you come on? Yeah, we'll interview, yeah, we'll interview you. you. Okay. Interview you. I've always loved it's a date. Nick. Yeah, I've always loved Nick Cage. I think Mandy really solidified <sighs> the fact that he's a legitimately good actor when he is given a role that suits him. That meets him. When yeah. I heard that he would be in an H.P. Lovecraft inspired film, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be amazing. Perfect. I know yeah. it's going to be good." So we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to catching up on all of our Ted Bundy news. Mm-hmm. Just like multiple fronts, lots of stuff Ted Bundy related. We're looking forward to Happy Death Day to You, which comes out on Valentine's Day. Yeah, very oh! shortly here. Oh my God, I didn't realize it was so it's like oh. three weeks. Yeah. I will be watching that the second it comes out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to, of course, Us, which is coming out in March, March. which isn't too far away. Yeah, I'm a also lot of great films coming out. This yeah, year. I'm also looking forward to all of the new. Instagram and Twitter followers, I know we will be getting Ugh, when numbers you are exploding. When you, the listener, subscribe to us on iTunes directory, and well, that doesn't help our Instagram numbers. And but. follow us on Instagram where we are Ah uh, Real Films, and on Twitter where we are Curtis Ah uh, Real Films, but real is spelled R E E L. And if you want to uh, give us your feedback about this episode or really anything i would love to hear what your favorite film based on a true story is or if you have any feedback about the podcast you can email us at a-h-h-r-e-a-l films at gmail.com please email us please oh god we're (laughs) fucking desperate (laughs) um anyway thank you guys so much for listening and uh have a great day bye-bye folks else so didn't really use a chainsaw at all as far as i could tell i don't think no i don't I, literally the only thing was that like he had a belt made of nipples and like i guess toby hooper was like <laughs> nipples you mean <laughs> right not nibbles i i said nipples <laughs> we have to accentuate the p nipples <laughs> nipples all right let's, let's i have a pop talking. filter so yeah yeah i really do i'm so uncomfortable with the word right nipples now. like i hate that word but Dina. <laughs>